we're going to be looking at the uh, Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. And in the text, what Jesus is going to do is Jesus is going to use the very presence of children to teach an important truth about the kingdom, about receptivity of the kingdom, and how you and I are to emulate children and their receptivity of the kingdom. And, and, and Jesus is going to use that to teach them. And I, I think it's an important truth for us to know and to embrace and to be able to encourage with one another. And since Jesus used children in our text this morning as an example, I thought that what I would do is let me just begin with a couple of illustrations from children. And this is about how children pray. And just a couple of funny stories about children. I'm sure you've heard your children pray, and they've prayed before and said funny things. So one little boy began his prayer like this. Harold, at this, his father interrupted him and said, Wait a minute, did you just call God Harold? Well, little boy looked up and said, Yeah, that's what they call him in church. You know the prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, Harold be thy name. He said he heard. During the minister's prayer one Sunday morning, there was a loud whistle from one of the back pews. Gary's mother was mortified. She pinched him into silence, and after church asked, Gary, whatever made you do such a thing? Gary answered, I asked God to teach me to whistle, and he just did at that time. Another little boy prayed, Dear God, please take care of my mommy, my daddy, my sister, my brother, my doggy, and me. Oh, please, take care of yourself, God. If anything happens to you, we're going to be in a big mess. A rabbi asked a precocious six-year-old boy, So your mother says your prayers for you each night. Very commendable. What does she say? The little boy replied, Thank God he's in bed. And the last one is this little girl by the name of Anita said this, Dear God, is it true my father won't get in heaven if he uses his bowling words in the house? We all know what that means, don't we? So as I read these, did you hear the, the heart of children as they approach their relationship with God as they simply pray? How simple, freely, openly, honestly. In our text, Jesus says this in Mark chapter 10, verse 14. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. If Jesus says that about children, I don't know about you, but I want to end children in the way that they approach their relationship with God. If Jesus is lifting up children in the way that they approach their relationship and coming to him, I don't know about you, but I want to emulate that kind of attitude. And so what I want to do this morning from the Gospel of Mark, I, I simply want to jump to Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, to a text where the disciples are actually bothered. They're bothered by the presence of children. You know, there's certain places that children are not really welcome. A lot of times they're not invited to weddings. Keep those children away. Maybe the theater, a, a really nice restaurant. We, we know that. We've, we've seen those kinds of places that their children are not welcome. I want to tell you something. They're welcome here. And I hope that you know that they are welcome in our service. I want them to be in our I'm glad that they're here. Yeah, they're not going to get it all. They're going to wiggle. They're going to squirm. They're going to do all that kind of stuff. But it's good for them to be around godly men and women so that they can see how we worship, how we respond to God, and how we can model to them the truths of our faith. What we are trying, hoping to do is to remind the next generation behind us that we love Jesus and that we want to model the truths of our faith to them. Um, there is a, a psalm that I, I want to read, and it's Psalm 78. And it reminds us of the responsibility that we have. And this is a, a very long psalm, Psalm 78. It's a, it's a psalm, and it, and it goes through the, the nation of Israel and their responsibility. And what it says in, in Psalm chapter 78, it, it says this, verse, beginning in verse 1. O my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from the old what we've heard and known, what our fathers have told us. 
We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praise for the deeds of the Lord, his power and his wonders he has sent. Did you notice the generational aspect, fathers, children, the next generation? What we have is the great privilege of personally and as a church to communicate truth to the next generation. And because I want to model that and we do this, I'm going to invite uh, my daughter, uh, my daughter Amber, and I'm going to invite Piper up. And what Piper is going to do, is Piper's our granddaughter, what she's going to do is she's going to stand right here and she's going to read our text from the Gospel of Mark. So you have this generation to this generation to the next generation. If my in-laws were here, that would be four generations. Mark 10, 13 through 16. People were bringing little donuts, but the disciples, when Jesus saw them, was indignant. He said to them, Truly, I can tell you, anyone who... While you walk down, let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege you have of being here this morning. Father, I, th I thank you for the responsibility that you have given to us to model the incredible, wonderful truths of your word to the next generation. And Father, we want to take that seriously because we know that Jesus took not just for children, but Lord, there's a message in here for adults. So Father, we want to come to you humbly this morning and ask that you would speak to us and you'd guide and direct us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So, so what I would like to do is I just want to outline this sermon in a couple of ways. Number one, there's an invitation in this text. There's an invitation to Jesus. And then secondly, there's going to be an affirmation. Jesus is going to affirm with his words about the nature and the character of Jesus. And then we'll come back and we'll, we'll draw some application. So let's look at the invitation um, to Jesus. Verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have them touch them, but the disciples disciples rebuked them. Now, this is actually a, a, a beautiful, beautiful picture. To the Jewish people, they would know that their children were actually a blessing. Uh, Psalm 127 says this, that children are a heritage. They are a war reward from the Lord, and blessed is the one whose quiver is full of them. And the practice of Jewish people bringing their children to a godly teacher was something that they did. It was a part of their culture, if you will. If you go back and, and look at the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, remember when, when Jacob and Esau, remember when Jacob stole Esau's blessing? And Esau comes in and he finds out that Jacob stole the blessing. What does he say? Do, do you have only one blessing? What about me? He's, he's begging God, he's begging his father for a blessing. And if you go back and look at Genesis chapter 48 and 49, you have this, these long chapters about blessing, the blessing of the grandchildren and the blessing of the children. You see, back at that particular point in time, the Jewish people had a saying from the Talmud, what you want to do is as a parent, you want to bring your son, your daughter, your children, you want to bring them to a godly parent or a, a godly rabbi or a godly leader so that they might touch them, so they might pray over them, that they might what? They might pray a special blessing over them. Think about the life of Jesus. Mary and Joseph are married. What do they do? They travel to the temple. They travel in. And what do they do? They come into the temple and there's this godly man by the name of Simeon who wraps up Jesus, pulls him in, and he begins to speak over him. He begins to prophesy over him. He begins to speak well of him. And then he prays over him. Let me ask you something. Ultimately, who of us do not want to experience the blessing of God, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the blessing of God. Every one of us, there's no doubt, wants the blessing of God in our life. 
And what's interesting in verse 13, it says this. It talks about them. In other words, it's, it's not just women bringing their children for Jesus to touch and bless them. This is, this is families, them as masculine. In other words, men were gathering together. Women were gathering together. And what do they do? They're, they're bringing their, their, their children to Jesus so Jesus can wrap them up. He can pull them alongside, and what he can do is he can pray for them. One of the great privileges that I have as a pastor, that we have as a church, is to do something that we did last week, uh, a baby dedication, where we bring the, the parents and we bring little Olive before you. And I have the, the incredible privilege as a pastor and a father to pray over my, my daughter and ask God's blessing upon them and ask God that they would, they would be led by the Spirit of God, that they would be led by the Scriptures, and, and that we as a church family would, would gather together and we would come alongside of them and we'd help them and we would encourage them and we'd build them up. Jesus wants to bless people. John 10.10, 10, the John 10.10 10 life says, I came that they might have life and will have it in the full. Why would we not want to come to Jesus? Why would we not want to invite people to come to Jesus to see and know and experience who he is and what he's done? But for some reason, the disciples didn't get it. Verse 13, it says this, but the disciples rebuked him. The word rebuke has this idea of denounce or disapprove. Remember last week in the calming of the storm? What does Jesus do? He, he, he rebukes the wind. He rebukes the, the, the storm. And what is it? He commands it to stop. Well, what's happening here is the disciples are rebuking the parents, saying, listen, no, 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 you can't come to Jesus. It's such a strong word that means they were, they were kind of pushing them away, scooting them out of the way, if you will. You can't come to Jesus. Why were they doing that? I don't know, but maybe we can come up with a couple of reasons why. In the Roman culture back then, children were kind of at the low part of the totem pole. They weren't very esteemed, if you will. They didn't have a, a high value. Women didn't have a high value. Children didn't have a high value. Maybe what they were doing is they were responding to the culture around them and saying, you know what, you, you don't bother Jesus. Or, or maybe they were protecting Jesus. Jesus coming out, he's preaching the kingdom of God repentance, repent for the kingdom of God. Maybe he has this wonderful preaching ministry going on, and what they want to do is they want to protect him from that, from all, from stopping him from doing his life mission and doing his, his preaching, if you will. Or maybe there's something different. Maybe there's something about the disciples that they don't fully understand who Jesus is and what he's come to do and how he wants to bless people. Maybe they have their own concept of the Messiah. Maybe they have their own concept of Jesus. Maybe they have their own concept of who this guy is. And what they're doing is they're bringing their own concept, they're bringing their own attitude, if you will, in this idea of children. Because at times they don't have a really good attitude to people very different than in this In this chapter, Mark chapter 10, in one of the scenes, Jesus is going into Jericho. And just outside of Jericho, there's a blind man. And he's there, and he's calling, and he's crying out to, to God. His, his name is Bartimaeus. And he's calling, Jesus! He's, he's shouting, Jesus! Jesus, have mercy on me! And the disciples and the people come alongside of them. You know what they say? Shh, quiet! Quiet! Don't bother him. Wait a minute, is that the attitude that it's supposed to have? And bring people to him, the invitation is open to him. Is that what we want to do? We want to keep people away from Jesus because we have this preconceived idea of notion of who they are and who Jesus might accept. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus is going into a Samaritan city. And they don't respond to him. It's a Samaritan city. They don't respond to Jesus. And so they leave. Can't do a lot of miracles there. And you remember the, the response of James and John as they come out of the city to Jesus? Jesus do you want us to just call fire down from heaven and burn them all up? Really? Is that, 
is that Jesus? Is that what he came for with that kind of attitude, this, this us and they kind of attitude? And, and if I just do these kinds of things that I will be accepted to God, that there's, there's some kind of uh, acceptance that I have to do something or I have to act some, a certain way or I have to be something else? It seems to me what the disciples are missing is they're missing this point about who Jesus is and his opportunity to come and invite people to be a part of his kingdom. I get this picture of, of in Mark chapter 10, that Jesus has been in the house, he's been teaching about divorce and family. And, and then maybe he comes outside and, and he's, he's having all these children, all these parents are just bringing these children up to him. And these little ones are coming up, maybe Piper's age, and even smaller people. And, and they're coming up and they're, they're handing him, they're handing their little baby to Jesus. Jesus takes them in his arms and what he's doing, he's, he's just blessing them. And, and the disciples, you know, they, be, they, begin to push the, they begin to push the people, they begin to, to get him out of the way. And, and Jesus saw this. And notice what he says in verse 14. It says that when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He was pretty upset. He was pretty mad. Indignant has the idea of being angry or upset, offended or irate at some type of unfair treatment. Jesus was more than upset. He's grieved at what was going on and what the disciples were doing. And there's good reason for them, good reason for him to be upset and what he's come to do. When you look at the Bible and you look at Jesus and you look specifically at his encounter with Jesus, with children. Jesus is always inviting children to be a part. And sometimes Jesus is teaching children. Jesus is helping children. Jesus is healing children. The royal official's son who was sick, Jesus helped him. The demonized only son of a man, he, he frees him from this demon possession. To this little girl, Jairus' daughter, Remember, she dies, and he speaks these wonderful words, Talitha kum, which means, little lamb, I say, arise. He's, he's outside the city of Nain, and he looks and peers inside the city, and he sees the funeral profession, procession going by, and this woman is burying her only son. And Jesus walks up, and, and he touches the, the procession. He goes into the procession, and he touches the, the, the body. Jesus demonstrated incredible love, acceptance for children. He radically changed their life by inviting them to come to him and be a part of his. There's a man by the name of B.B. Warfield, and he wrote about how Jesus, the message of the cross, and the message of the gospel radically changed the prevailing culture at that particular point in time. And this is what B.B. Warfield said. He said, childhood owed as much to the gospel as womanhood. Childhood owed as much to the gospel as womanhood. What he's talking about is this when the message of the gospel comes and changes and transform, transforms a person's thought life and it transforms their life, what it does is it causes them to react in a way that's entirely different. So as people embrace the gospel, guess what happened? They, their attitude and their thoughts toward children and women and to the displaced society, it radically changed. It became much more inviting. They became much more open and accepting to that kind of people, if you will. And that's the same that changed the culture back then, and it's the same of the church. If you're familiar with a guy by the name of D.L. Moody, you know that he began and ran a huge Sunday school ministry over 100 years ago in the city of Chicago. And little boys and girls would come, and a lot of them looked very, very ragged. They didn't have a whole lot to their name, and they walked miles, some of them barefoot, to get to uh, the ministry that he was a part of. And so one day he asked, he asked one of the little boys, he said, why do you come so far to get here? And this is what the boy said, because they love a fellow here, Mr. Moody, about him, and there was something about the people that were teaching him. They were ultimately, this little boy, little girls, about Jesus. Listen, we are privileged to have Diana. We are privileged to have a people that work with our, work with our children. They do that so that they can instill the best, give them very 
I, I hope that you are taking advantage of their love, their care, their concern. I hope that you are wanting to be a part of bringing your son and daughter, of being a part of families, about instilling in them the word of God in such a way that's very, very different than the way that you would do it. You know, our, our, our leaders, whether it be children, and you, they can model the truths of faith in a way maybe that's a little bit different than you. You may be saying the same things that they're saying, but maybe from a young person, maybe from somebody else, they're going to hear it just a little bit differently. And that's why we have the privilege of working together. So we have in this text this invitation, people bringing themselves, bringing families, bringing little children to Jesus, and Jesus wanting to be a part of that. In the midst of the rebuke, notice Jesus respond. He affirms, he affirms a message from God to them in 14 and 15. Notice what he says. He said to them, the disciples, let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. Why? For the kingdom of God belongs to such as thee. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter. Response spiritual. What's he talking about? He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about children coming to the kingdom of God. He's not only talking about children, he's talking about everyone. He says anyone. This is a, this is a message about the kingdom. He spiritualizes this. In order for there to be a kingdom, there has to be a king. How do you receive? How do you belong? How do you respond to the kingdom? Will you look at the message of the king? Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's been teaching, preaching about the kingdom of God from the very beginning of the book. If you want to embrace this message about the kingdom of God, what we need to do is look at who Jesus is and what he's done. In Mark chapter 1, from the very, very beginning, Mark's highlighted this idea, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Believe in the gospel. And if you look at this text, if you look at these verses in light of, of all of the gospel of Mark, you see what Jesus is doing. He's saying, listen, in light of the message that, that I have for you, the message that these truths are not my truths, they're from the Heavenly Father who's come down, that we are giving to you important truths about the kingdom of God, they would know and be able to embrace them as little children would. What were some of those kingdom values? Humans flee in God's presence. We can experience spiritual freedom that lepers are cleansed in the kingdom of God, that the Spirit of God can come and live inside of you, that it is really, really difficult for those who are rich to enter the kingdom of God. All of those kinds of values, tax collectors are welcomed in the kingdom of God. All of those kinds of values of the kingdom would be taught and lived out by Jesus. And these are kingdom values, not the world's values. And what's happening here is, is these little children are being taught the values of the kingdom, not the values of the world. As parents would come and they would listen, as they would listen to the message of Jesus and they would give that message to their children, they would hear that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's come to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. And so that's why he says in verse 14, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Why? For the kingdom of God belongs to such as thee. As little children come and embrace Jesus, the Messiah, as they come to him, as they seek him, as the rule and reign of God is being established in their little hearts, as they simply quietly, gently trust him. As they look to him in faith, they trust him. And what Jesus is saying, disciples, do you see how these little children come to me in simple faith? How they open their hearts and their me as they are welcome and receptive to me? That is the way that you are to come to me. The same childlike faith that a little child will come to me and embrace me. So, so let me ask you, parents, are you, are you bringing your children to Jesus? Not to the church, but ultimately who he is and what he's doing. Or are you leaving the spiritual direction of your children? Are you just leaving that to the church and you kind of separate 
I'm going to allow the, the people on Wednesday night or the teachers on Sunday morning to, to teach them about the Word of God. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to raise them up on a different are, are we living and modeling values of the kingdom that come in conflict with the values of the world? Listen, it is a hard, hard world out there. And the values that are being modeled by our children are incredibly difficult and challenging. From the time that they grow up, even in schools now, values that are contrary to the Word of God, uh, values that are contrary to the kingdom of God and the values that Jesus would have for us. Are we doing the best that we can to model those kinds of truth to our children? Jesus said this, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as this. Why does he say that? Because he has something incredibly difficult. When he says, I tell you the truth, in verse 15, he means this, listen up, this is important. By receiving the kingdom of God, he's talking about this. He's talking about, who's the king? I'm the king. I'm the Messiah. Look at my life. I, I came as a little child. I grew up as a little child. I lived with my family. I, I lived in humility. I lived in humble means. And then I came and I offered myself in a public ministry. Now, I lived this sinful life. And then I went and I did all of these miracles. I did all of these teaching. I, I gave all of these messages that reflect the kingdom of God. And all of the miracles I did, what did they do? They reflect the power of the kingdom of God. I come to you in the power of the kingdom of God. And verse 15 says, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. According to Jesus, adults learn about the kingdom of God when we put our simple faith in, like a little child will put their simple faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus used the presence of children to teach truth about entrance to the kingdom. So, if I were to invite Piper to come up here, I'm going to come. I'm going to invite Piper to come up, and we're going to sit here for a minute. Jesus used children as an object lesson over and over again. So, if I was to if I was to have Piper stand up here, and if she stands, um, I could make some observations about Piper. We could probably make some observations about Piper. You may not know these, but some of these I would know. Um, I would look at her and I'd say, "She's a beautiful young little girl." I know that she's smart, she's articulate, um, because she read the passage. I know that she's growing as a, as a little girl. Um, I also know that um, she took this seriously, and she wants to do a good job, so she's kind of, um, I also know that um, she took this seriously, and that she wanted to read God's Word in a way that was proper and relevant and right for all of us. She wanted to do that as a model, which is a good thing. I, I know that it took a little bit of courage, right? took a little bit of courage. I mean, not many adults would come up and read a passage, but it took a little bit of courage for her to come up here and to be. I, I know that she likes going to church. I know that she loves her family, friends. She loves coming. But I also know some other things about Piper, which are true not only of Piper, but of all little children. Let me ask you, um, who are you going to vote for this year? Okay, let me ask you. I'll ask you, do you have a job? No. Do you pay taxes? No. Do you cook? No. Do you clean? Sometimes. <laughs> um, do you drive a car? No, not yet. Um, do you take care of your family? Yeah. Do you love your brother? Yeah. Love your sister? Yeah. Can she be a handful at times? All right, you can go sit down. Thank you. So all of those things are, are very true of Piper, but they're very true of all children. But there's something else. And what do children need? They need parents to come. You, you can't just leave you can't leave children out and spend for life on their own. There's no way that you can do that. There's no way. They are helpless. They are dependent. They need adults. They need other things. They need guidance. They need direction in their life. They have, they have a very little status, if you will, in the idea of they, they are helpless, needy, and, and they need people to come alongside of them and help and direct them ultimately to the, of God's word and who he is. They're sinners in need. They're sinners in need of direction. 
But when they approach their relationship with God, a lot of times they do so humbly. They do so simply. Like the little children in our text, they, they come to Jesus with the simplicity of faith, the humility of your heart and mind. I, I believe in the text, the disciples thought this. They thought children cannot come into the kingdom because they're not grown-ups. I, I believe what the grown-ups thought is this. Grown-ups, Jesus said this, grown-ups cannot come into the kingdom until they become like children. Children respond to... I think about the way that a child responds to their... Hey, let's go out, and I'm going to get you some ice cream. After church, what we'll do is we're going to go out to lunch. I'm going to give you some ice cream. They don't come to you and say, well, I don't believe in going out uh, uh, to lunch after church. I don't believe in ice cream. And by the way, you're going to give this? They don't begin to question their parents, do they? They don't question their parents in a wrong way, will they? Because of their love, acceptance, and trust of their parents, they're saying, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do all of those things. Because I know his parents, what? You have my best interests in mind. Jesus has our best entrance in mind. And I believe what, what's happening here is Jesus is teaching the disciples this. Listen, the entrance into the kingdom of God is not about status. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about how religious you are. It's not about all of these other things. It's not about what you do. Entrance into the kingdom of God, disciples, parents, and anyone else who would choose to come alongside and listen to this. Do you need Jesus to come and help you to do things that ultimately you in and of yourself cannot do by yourself? Jesus began from the beginning Repent and believe the good news. What's the good news? The good news is about the gospel. Life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. The very hands that were going to touch these children and touch the parents are the very hands that were going to go to the cross and be nailed to a bloody cross. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the message of the good news. And people who repent, people who find themselves in need, come to the cross and trust Jesus for who he is. To Nicodemus, the, the religious leader, what did Jesus say? You must be born again. He knew he was in the kingdom. He was doing everything right. Jesus says, you must repent and be born again. To the rich young ruler who comes to him and says, I'll give up everything. He says, this isn't about doing. It's about coming and following me. And think about the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross has done nothing, nothing to earn his salvation. When he's on the cross, he comes to this point where he cries out for what? He cries out for mercy. He's a helpless man. He's absolutely being crucified for his crimes against humanity. And he simply, on his deathbed, calls out and cries out to Jesus, have mercy on him. And what did Jesus say? I think what Jesus is teaching the disciples, what he's teaching the parents a relationship with God, the way that we approach the kingdom, we come knowing that we cannot earn ourselves. We come accepting the grace that's been given to us through the life, death, burial, and resurrection. of. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, give his life as a ransom. He came to what? To offer himself as a sacrifice. Will we embrace that value and receive that message about the kingdom? Okay, so we have this, this affirmation, if you will, from Jesus in verses 14 and 15. Let me just take a minute and, and draw this to, to an application. We have an affirmation of Jesus. I want to look at the application. Number one is this. What might we learn from this? Jesus then gathered all of these people together, all these children together, and he began to bless it. Well, where might we see and experience blessing? Number one is this. 
Have you received the message of the king by putting your faith, your trust in, by looking to him? You, you can't do anything. To, you don't have enough money. You can't buy it. You can't do enough good works. Your status is not your religiosity. It's not the fact that you come to church every Sunday. It's this. Do you humbly come to and trust the gospel message of him to the cross and offer himself as a sacrifice? And when that happens, what happens is we are brought into the... First John chapter 3, verse 1 says this. By the way, when you go back and look at First John, over and over this word is used, this idea of family. Notice what it says. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called what? Children of God. And that's what we... We enter into a relationship with God. We enter into the relationship of family. We embrace the gospel and we receive the message that Jesus went to the cross and offered himself as a sacrifice. I want to read from the book of Hebrews. And I, I want to show you the, the implications of what it means for us to be God's children and part of a family. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 says this. Let me just read this. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. What is that? That's, in, that's the incarnation where God comes to earth, Jesus comes to earth. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. What is that? That's the cross. That's the message of the cross. He would go and offer himself as a sacrifice so that the grace of God, through the grace of God, he might taste death for what? For everyone. That's substitutionary atonement. I don't have to die my own death for my sin. That means this, that Jesus went to the cross and offered himself as a sacrifice. He paid for my sin on the cross. Substitutionary atonement. Verse 10 says this, in bringing many sons to glory. What's that? That's sanctification. I'm going to be like Jesus one day. I'm going to actually be like Jesus because of what he's done for me on the cross. Colossians chapter 3. verse. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect. In other words, perfect in the sense that there is nothing else that needs to. We accept Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. At the cross, everything is completed. It is finished, Jesus. And both the one who makes men holy... And those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. And we are brothers. And if we've received the if we've trusted Christ for what he's done and his death on the cross for us. And the last thing I, I want to draw on is this. Are we bringing others or do we have these preconceived attitudes and ideas about who belongs in the... Because the text says this, anyone, anyone who will not become like a little child in the way that they approach the kingdom of God and their relationship, anyone who doesn't do And what you and I have been given is the incredible privilege to model the truth and to teach and tell them about... You know, we, we have today this opportunity, this trunk or tree, and, and I would hope in opportunities like this where people will come that we have... Uh, the opportunity to strike up conversation and to talk to people about our church and about faith and what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And that's what that's what today is designed. It gives us an opportunity to hopefully reach out into our families, reach out into our community, to be able to say, this is why we exist. We ultimately want to tell And a lot of times God uses children. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that you love us, that you care for us, and that you've given us the incredible responsibility. God, of modeling to the next generation the wonderful truths of our faith, and we thank you for that privilege. Father, thank you that you changed our life. Father, I do pray for families. Father, I ask that you would guide and direct them. I pray. Father, I pray that they and us would make our families priorities, Lord. I pray for fathers, and I pray for mothers. 
Father, I ask that you would lead us, that you would guide and direct us. We would ultimately look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And, and Lord, as you speak to us, as you teach us, we would then have the responsibility and privilege to teach and to model that to the next. Father, thank you for the partnership that we have. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.